Amen. Pray with me. God, that's our desire as we open your word. Together, we recognize that this is a word that you've breathed your life into. It's an inspired word. Uh, and, and in the same way you breathe life into people, that, that your, your spirit lives in it. And we pray it would speak to us. And ultimately, it would reveal you to us as we know you in Christ Jesus. That's what we pray. It's in his name. Amen. So dads, you're not exempt either. Uh, just as we didn't, I didn't do a special sermon for moms or, or any other recent holiday we've had. This one's not specifically for dads. But it is about trusting God, as Britt mentioned. And um, trusting God realistically. Now Michelle and I have this debate. And, and she says, I've told you before, um, she, I say I'm a realist. She says I'm a pessimist. And in actuality, I'm probably a realist borderline pessimist. Uh, so my, my concerted effort has gone into this not to make it trusting God pessimistically, right? That's, that's not what we want to do. But we do want to trust God. I mean, there's, when you talk about trusting God, you can go in so many different ways. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and, and it's a passage, I think, that presents an opportunity to speak about trusting God uh, in a realistic manner. Maybe when you think about trusting God, you think about... Someone like Jeannie Jester, who's, who's just done something that a lot of people might think is crazy. That's just taken this huge leap of faith and moved overseas and become a missionary. Often we can, we, when we think about trusting God, we think about these big things that people do or are trusting God to do something uh, that we can't see or that we don't know. And, and, and certainly there's an element of trusting God that is involved in that. There's a... a one of my favorite Disney movies is, is Aladdin, and I think I've shared this illustration with you before, but, but I just like it. And, and there's a scene in Aladdin right after Aladdin becomes Prince Ali, made by the genie. And, and he, he is, has gone up to, to try and woo the Princess Jasmine. And she's in her high balcony, and he's on the flying carpet. The flying carpet brings him up there, and he's trying to sweet talk her into getting on the flying carpet with him. Which is a pretty sweet deal, you know. And, uh, of course, she really doesn't know who he is. She's just kind of met the guy. And, and she's a little bit hesitant, but he flashes her this beautiful smile. You remember that scene? And in this magical moment, he reaches out his hand and he says, Don't you trust me? And she doesn't say, No. I have no idea who you are. And you're on a flying carpet. And those aren't real. Which would have been the realistic response, right? She says, yes. And she's whisked away. And, and, and I guess it, it, it does kind of illustrate that sometimes love requires a leap of faith, right? And sometimes faith is, is like a leap and we can't see it. But meanwhile, back on planet Earth, ladies, if you ever see a guy hovering outside your window on a flying carpet, call the police. <laughs> That's the realistic thing to do. I love the movie, but I recognize there's times that we trust God for things that we can't see. But there's, there's also times where we trust God every day. Sometimes for things we can't see, but sometimes just because God is God. And, and we trust Him every day in the big things and in the little things. You think about the kind of trust that a child places in a parent. Uh, we, we're so, we are celebrating Father's Day. And, and for those of you that are dads, those of you that are moms... Think about how your child 
child trusts you. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It's just something they do, isn't it? They, they think that you're going to feed them because in the past, your track record's proven pretty good. You got food. They, did, they got food. They did okay. And so they think, my mom or dad's going to feed me tomorrow. And, and that's a kind of trust. It's, it's not a, a huge leap of faith kind of trust, but it is a trust. If you're married, think about your spouse and, and the trust that you place in that person to be there for you and to encourage you and, and probably more than anyone else to want good things for you. And, and even just to do the everyday things that they do, whether it's around the house, whether it's going to work and helping pay the bills. You just trust that that's going to happen because you know that person and they've proven faithful in doing those things. Maybe you're, you're a, a, you have an elderly parent. You help take care of them. Or maybe you are that elderly parent, and, and you have a child that helps you out around the house, helps you do things that, that you just need help doing at this stage in life. It's not a huge leap of faith to trust them to do those things. They, they do those things because of, of who they are, because of who you've been to them, right? And it's more faith. You trust them because you know who they are, and, and you know that they love you. I know that trusting God can be like a missionary taking a dangerous leap of faith and going to another country, but it can also be trusting, like trusting your parent or your spouse or an adult child. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. I, I don't want to confuse the realistic kind of trust and say, well, it's easy because it's common, because, because it's not all the time. In order for Samuel in our text to trust uh, what God is, is doing in his midst, what he's going to do, he needs a really heavy dose of reality. And the reality for him is that he has spent his whole life caring about something that as he gets old, he looks around and the people of God, he doesn't see that mirrored and reflected in them. And so he has to trust in that moment that God really is in the midst of doing something, that God has his best interest in heart, that he has his, his people's best interest at heart. Samuel's told by God to go and anoint a king in Israel, knowing that that's not really what God wants to do, that he doesn't want Israel to have an earthly king. But the reality said that's what they wanted, and that's what God was going to allow to happen. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and it'll be on your screen. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. You know, Samuel's predicament illustrates for us that trusting God is not done in a vacuum. It's not something that we can do and, and, and not be affected by the things that other people do, whether good 
or bad. We can't separate our devotion to God from our family and from our relationships and from our job. Trusting God as much as we'd like it to doesn't shelter us from the effects of the decisions that other people make. Unfortunately, people do that and and they often don't trust God the same way that we do. And so trusting God, this main idea is that trusting God actually can help us be realistic. Sometimes we think about trusting God as being a huge leap of faith, but trusting God can help us be realistic. And I think one, one of the things that, that we see that in the text in the first big way is that trusting God helps us be realistic in our expectation of our family. Samuel has these sons. His life is nearing the end. And First Samuel in chapter 8 is beginning this transition that goes from the time of, of judges in Israel to the time of the monarchy. And, and so that's, that's about to happen. And, and Samuel has basically done what his predecessor Eli did. And he made his sons judges kind of under him. He's the main judge and they're under him. And, and he's allowed them to, to be judges in this place towards the southern tip of Israel called Beersheba. And unfortunately, in the same way that Eli's sons did, it tells you verse 3 on your screen, that they didn't do a very good job. They didn't respect the office. And, and they didn't reflect the same devotion to God that Samuel had. Now, unlike Eli, Samuel's never called out the Bible as it being his fault or of not doing anything about this. He's, he's still held up as a man that is uh, devoted to God. But you also have to wonder, just like you did with Eli, well, why did he make them judges in the first place? The Bible talks about judges in the Old Testament as being Really a position that is inspired by God. That is, that is what we would call in New Testament Christianity a job that should be a, a spiritual gift for someone. Someone shouldn't do it if they really aren't gifted to do it. But you know how it is, even in church life, huh? Just because someone gets drafted to, to go to vacation Bible school and do crafts or uh, we, we need help building in grounds or we need service on this committee, just because someone ends up doing something isn't always because they're especially gifted to do it. Sometimes it's just something that needs to be done in our imperfect world, isn't it? And that's kind of the position that Samuel finds himself in, right or wrong. And, and I think Samuel's trying realistically to do the best that he can in a very difficult situation. And this is just the first part as he deals with his family that we see that his trust of God doesn't necessarily affect other people and the way they interact with God and the way they are committed to God. And so I think the challenge for for us as we try to trust God is not necessarily knowing what to do. I mean, the Bible tells us what trusting God entails, especially in the New Testament. We we talked, it's been a long time since we've done this, but we went through a series a while back, uh, three chapters in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's really what Jesus expects out of people that follow him, that, that trust him. And so it's not necessarily that we don't know what we're supposed to do as people that trust God. The problem is that sometimes we find ourselves in the minority, even within our own family. We have to deal with that. Michelle has shared with with many of you uh, just kind of how she struggled as an adult as her parents have divorced later in life. Often that's something that happens to children when they're young and it's ended up happening to Michelle and her sisters as, as they're older and, and they're adults. And it's just been something that's been strange, something that they, they never expected. Uh, when their father went and, and met another lady when he was visiting his hometown for a funeral and 
decided that even though he was older and, and really getting close to retirement, that this he wanted to be with this lady instead of the person he'd been married to for most of his life. And uh, it's just created this strange rift in the family. And, and it's felt, you know, every time there's a family gathering, every time there's a birthday, and we have to decide, well, who's going to come and, and who's invited and how are we going to deal with that? And, and even when he comes in, he lives in the Dallas area, he'll, he'll come in and visit. And, and, you know, there's just, it's gotten better, but there's just that, that tension there. And it's totally changed uh, their relationships. And, and she knows, Michelle and her sisters know, they know the Christian thing to do was, is, is to forgive their dad. Even though he's split the family up and he's kind of changed what everybody thought was going to happen. And, and, and you know, he, he and, and Michelle's mom had, had bought a house together. And so everybody just thought, well, that's where grandma and grandpa are going to live. And as we have kids, we're going to go there. And that's just the way it's going to be. And he's totally just kind of blown that idea up. And they had to say that, gosh, even though this is not what I wanted and, and I think he's wrong, uh, they know they're supposed to forgive him. They know that. And we respond to people as God wants. Uh, we know that we're supposed to do that. But it's not because of who they are. And it's not even because of who we are. It's because of who we trust. And we celebrate Father's Day today. And I don't know where you are as we celebrate that. Maybe you miss your father. Maybe you have an absent father. Maybe you have an estranged father. Maybe in your family it has nothing to do with the father that you started with. Maybe it's a child. Maybe there's a prodigal child. Maybe it's a sibling. We have these complicated relationships where, where we strive to do what we think is right. And we strive to trust God and, and to do everything like, like we think that He wants us to do. And it is so frustrating when the other person or people don't do that. And I think part of the, the lesson that we learned from Samuel, the, one of the biggest things is that you have absolutely no control over that. That is reality. Some of you are blessed to have wonderful Christian families, and, and I celebrate that with you. But there might be a day where you find something out about someone in that family, maybe someone really close to you that's not very Christian. And the degree that you can handle that in grace is the degree that you are trusting God more than that person. Trusting God allows us to look at family and just see them realistically, have realistic expectations of them. And in the same way, I think it works the same way. Trusting God can help us have realistic expectations of our leaders. Do you remember the first leader, spiritual or otherwise, that just let you down? You think of that person who it might have been. Maybe you're thinking of a person. For me... I, I go all the way back to my first grade teacher, Miss Crickio. She had a strange name. Miss Crickio, though, was a young teacher. She'd been, I think she'd been out of college for a couple years. And, and uh, you know, even as a first grader, you could tell she was really young. And I remember she had braces, and that always stuck out to me as a first grader. And uh, I could just tell, even as a first grader, that she was younger than all the other teachers. And she was probably prettier than all the other teachers, you know, and all the kids liked her, and she was sweet, and she had this really nice voice at story time, and she sat in her little rocking chair, and uh, I just looked up to her, as, as most kids do their first grade teacher. Well, one day Miss Crickia was absent, she was gone, and uh, you know how classes will do when the teacher is away, you know, be a little bit more rambunctious if, if the substitute allows, to the degree that the substitute allows, and 
We must have just had a substitute that let us do whatever we want because one thing I remember that day is that we were just into the cabinets and into drawers that we really weren't supposed to be in. And we discovered this book that Ms. Crickio had in her desk entitled 101 Things That Tick, and she didn't use the word, didn't have the word tick in the title, but tick me off. And as a first grader, man, that was a really bad cuss word. And to think that Ms. Crickio had a book with that word on the cover. And so then we started flipping through the pages. We were over huddled in a corner and we were giggling and, and flipping through it. And I was shocked to find out that there were worse words than tick in that book. Now, as an, as an adult, I see things realistically. I look back and I say, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal to have a book like that. The worst offense that she probably the dumbest thing that she did was just to have it at school at all. But but she did. She had it in a private drawer. She didn't think anybody would find it. And it ultimately resulted in her having to send a note home and apologize. And maybe there were some things I don't know about that she had to do. She, she got to stay our teacher, though. But, but she did have some definite consequences. We look at our leaders and, and sometimes they, they end up facing consequences even, even worse than that. Israel's leaders should have known that the consequences of having an earthly king were not, not worth the comfort of having one. Verse 5 on your screen. This is what they say to Samuel. These are the, the elders of Israel. You are old. And elders means that they're leaders, but they're also old themselves. So the old people are telling Samuel that he's old. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And what's really at stake is not just Samuel's age and it's not just his leadership. It's their reputation, isn't it? They want to be secure. They want to have military might. They see what everybody else is doing and they want that. They're trying to protect the institution. I mean, it's a good intention, isn't it? But the consequences are not worth it. Now, being a leader doesn't protect anyone from moral or spiritual failings, unfortunately. And I was lucky enough, I remember as a young Christian, to have, not long after I came to faith, I had a great youth minister and I had a great pastor. And, and at the time, I didn't see their flaws. I can look back now and I, and I see some of their flaws. But, but even in spite of those flaws, they pointed me to Christ more than they pointed me to themselves or the mistakes that they made. And we hope and we pray for, for our leaders that they, they do that as well, whether it's in church or in families or, or otherwise. But, but we know at some point all leaders, well, they will. They'll let us down. I was in Luke's room the other night, and, and he has a, a, a closet light that he likes to, to stay on all the time. And uh, it had burned out, so I changed his light. And that, that same day I fiddled with a few other things around the house. I think I fixed a towel rack or something. Nothing, nothing very impressive, I promise you. I mean, he just seen me doing stuff around the house. And as I'm walking out of his room, he looks at his, his mom and he just says, he fixes everything. <laughs> and you laugh because you know that's not true, right? <laughs> and one day he's going to get older and he's going to say, man, dad's not quite the guy that I thought he was. You know, he's a good guy. He tries, but man, he's certainly not perfect. And he doesn't really fix a whole lot when it comes down to it. Leaders will let us down. And, and I'll let you down. As, as your pastor, if I haven't already, I promise you that, that I will. And if you're allowing your expectations of, of a leader to affect the way you relate to God. You know, I don't know how many people say, well, I quit going to church because that pastor said something I didn't like. Like, well, stick around longer. I'll say a few 
more things you don't like, probably, if it was me. You have to look past the ministry of the leader into your relationship with God. And so trusting God helps us do that with our family, helps us do it with leaders. And ultimately, because all family and all leaders are going to let us down, they're going to disappoint us. And so ultimately, when we trust God, it helps us respond, helps us respond realistically to disappointment. And that's the third point. That's, that's something we all face. We're going to face being disappointed by someone or something. And I think for some reason... For some reason, we think, I'll say I think, but I'm going to project this to everyone. We think that we don't really deserve to be disappointed. I mean, don't you just think you don't really deserve it? I mean, you try hard, you do what's right, you don't deserve to be disappointed. You ever go through, and this is, just, this is, this is for me, I, I can, this hits home for me. You ever go through a drive-thru at a fast food restaurant, and you order, you know, you're ordering for your whole family, and then you get home. And you get everything unpacked, the burgers or whatever it might be, and you find out they left one thing out. One order of french fries or one order of tater tots or, or one taco. But it messes everything up, doesn't it? Because then you have to go back. And, and it's not even that you got to get, I mean, because most of them, if you say, hey, y'all left out a french fry or something, they'll just give it to you. They won't even ask you for a receipt. It's not that big of a deal. But you went through the drive through for a reason, didn't you? You went through the drive-thru because you wanted to save time. And, and you could have just gone inside and got it and, and spent less time than having to turn around and go back. And then you get back home and your food's cold, you know, because, I mean, it's all a bunch of carbohydrates anyway. So it doesn't stay hot very long unless you eat it all of a sudden. And it's just $1.75. But my goodness, you paid $1.75 for that extra order of french fries or taco. And yeah, it's horrible for you, but you paid for it. You want to eat it. And if I get that upset over fast food, I mean, that tells me something about myself. Like, I just don't think that I'm supposed to be disappointed. I, I work hard to cross the T's and dot the I's and to do everything that I think is supposed to be done and, and not mess up. And so when someone else messes up and it affects me, I kind of get indignant about it. It shouldn't affect me. But golly, that's just reality. Verse 6 tells us Israel's desire for a king, and I think this is an understatement, it displeased Samuel. Samuel spent his life trying to help these people understand that they were different and they were set apart. And he wanted them to know how much God wanted them to, to, to be for, for God and not for anybody else. And, and he'd help them do these wonderful things. He'd help them repent from their idolatry. He, he brought peace with the Philistines. We read about that a few weeks ago. And now, now he, he's getting to retirement. You get to retirement, you want to look back on all the good stuff. And they say, you know, I think we just want to be like everybody else. I think to say that that was a disappointing day for Samuel is a pretty big understatement. And so God says, well, Samuel, since these people messed up, you're special. You're exempt. You're not affected. Right? That's not what he says at all. In fact, he says the opposite. Verse 7, listen to all the people. It's on your screen. Listen to all the people that are saying to you. It's not you they rejected. They rejected me as their king. And he goes on to detail the consequences that all the people and even Samuel himself are going to face. And so Samuel responds obediently to God in the midst of great disappointment. And probably it was the hardest thing that he had ever done. Even though he'd done everything right. We're not entitled 
to not be disappointed just because we trust God, because we're Christians, because we go to church. And God's the one that made it possible for us to trust Him to begin with. It's okay to be disappointed, but we can't allow that disappointment to affect our commitment, our faith to God. Because we're, that's just reality. Michelle and I went and saw, uh, I can only imagine, finally. It's, it's Ned's out on video. We saw it uh, not a while back in, in the theater. And I don't know if you've seen the movie. You probably, I'm sure you know the song. Uh, and, and I didn't really know what to expect because I don't, I don't go to a lot of Christian movies because a lot of them are just cheesy. Uh, but man, the story that this presented about, about the guy, it's about the guy that wrote the song. His name is Bart Millard. And, and he grew up with, with an alcoholic, abusive father. And uh, his dad really wanted him to be a good football player, but he was a good singer. That was just the way he was made. And his, it ticked his dad off. And, and he would hit him and he would hit his, his mother so much that, that the mom ended up leaving. And, and towards the end of the movie, Bart reconnects with his father. He, he leaves and, and a big part of the movie is about him joining this band and writing the song. But then, then he goes back and he reconnects with his father. And, and, and he finds out when he reconnects with his father that he has stage four cancer. And, and he's talking to one of his friends because his father's come to him now as, as he's looking towards the end of his life. And he tells his son that he wants him to help him understand who God is and have a relationship with him. And because of the disappointing disappointment that his father has been to him for most of his life, Bart has a a moment of, of struggle, and he says, he asked his friend, why couldn't he be the father he is trying to be now when I needed him to be then? That's just one of those realistic questions. There's, there's not an answer to it. Trusting God doesn't change the difficulty that comes with reality. And facing reality, though, doesn't mean you've got to be cynical. doesn't mean you have to be pessimistic towards God. It doesn't mean that that you don't you avoid taking great risks for God if you feel like He's leading you to do that. But it also means that you trust the normal, everyday issues. That God is faithful. And no matter what comes good or bad, disappointing or, or happy and encouraging, you don't allow those things to keep you from trusting God. It's every day. Because most of, the, most of the times you get to trust God is in the everyday stuff, not in the big stuff. If you're waiting for the big stuff, it may not ever come. What is keeping you from trusting God today and tomorrow and the next day? Let's pray together. God, we understand that, that trust is something that we can never fully grasp. and We can never fully understand the depth of how much you love us and, and want us to trust you even beyond what we can see. But God, it's also hard just for us to trust you every day and not think that the things that we have and the things that you allow are just because of who we are and have nothing to do with you. God, I pray that you would help us to, to not have an entitled mindset when things don't go our way. Forgive us for thinking that that we deserve everything and that life should just be like we want it to all the time. And God, help us even in the midst of things that we don't like. See how you're working and trust that you're with us and that you want ultimately things for our good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.